The time has come, so turn up the sound. It's time for Buried Broadway. Hiya! Hello! I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And welcome to... Buried Broadway, where we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals that we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. So, Mikey. Yes, Jen. Guess what? What? It is the month of my birth. (gasps) Happy birth month! (laughs) (laughs) How old are you now? Absolutely (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Well, special, special happy birth month to you. Why, thank you very much. I hope everyone is enjoying the new year. It is already an interesting year. Very eventful. It is. (laughs) And I hope your holidays were good and that nobody got flahoolies for Christmas, because that would be weird. But maybe you'll get one for your birthday. If you get me a flahoolie, I will throw it at your head and run. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe auction it on eBay, because it's probably very rare. Probably, but... (laughs) And because it is my birthday, January 27th, for those of you who care and are interested, uh, (laughs) I would really appreciate it if you, yes you, would check out our Patreon and see if you want to become one of our patrons. Yes, please make Jen's birthday extra, extra special. We have many Patreon levels starting as low as $1. Yeah, just one little old dollar. That's not too much. That's one McDonald's cheeseburger. Ew. Yeah, none of us eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> and by none of us, we mean me and Mikey. Yes, you, yes. you might. I don't know your life. So give up that cheeseburger. No, <laughs> stop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Save the animals. And that being said, I want to especially thank our newest patrons. I know them so well because (laughs) they happen to be the reason I have a day of birth at all. My parents! How fitting! (laughs) So yes, thank you to our newest Patreon members, Cassie and Larry Bevan. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Buried Broadway. For more trivia and photos about today's show. I love our page. Can I say that? I do. (laughs) (laughs) To see all the citations and resources we use to research this episode, become a bookworm brain on our Patreon for just $4 a month. And hear our blooper reel for this episode because you all know we can't speak correctly sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can become a blooper boo at $8 a month at patreon.com backslash buried broadway or go to the link on our website if you want to get in touch just follow this address it's b-e-v-a-r-e-l-l-i dot com Today we're going to be talking about Wildcat with a book by N. Richard Nash, lyrics by Carolyn Lee, and music by Cy Coleman. We bought this record at a place called Second Story Books, and they are located in D.C. in DuPont Circle and also in Maryland in Rockville. Yes. Now, unfortunately, they don't sell records anymore as of (sighs) the new year. 
uh, we were actually there the last day they were selling records. It was a very, very sad day. Yeah, it was weird. We were thinking about Second Story Books because it's been a while since we've had the joy of going through records um, unsorted. Then when we looked online on the Second Story Facebook, we saw that the next day was the last day for records. So we had to go, obviously. But it was intense. It was chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) They had sold all of the unsold records to... I guess a guy, a company, I'm not sure who. No idea. Which meant that we were looking through records, and as soon as we were done with a shelf, guys would come and throw all the records into boxes. And I mean throw. Like, it was very haphazard, and I was like, no, the babies! It was definitely the most stressful, like, record search we've ever done. By the time we had gotten there, I would say three-fourths of the record area had been packed up already Mm -hmm. and put into a truck. And I just was like, wait a minute, what's in there? (laughs) And chances are, I mean, you guys love the musicals we cover. We love the musicals we cover. But let's be serious. We are a very, very niche group of human beings. Mm -hmm. Not everyone loves what we love. So what happens if this guy gets these random little musicals home and decides he thinks they're garbage or he thinks that they're not worth his time? Where do they go? I hope they go to a thrift store at least. (laughs) Yeah. It's very emotional to say goodbye. But they still exist as a bookstore. They have a lot of good books. If you like books. Books are good too. Womp womp. (laughs) So back to the show. Now I'm thoroughly depressed. (laughs) (laughs) This Uh, show better be good. I hope so too. Wildcat opened on Broadway on December 16th, 1960 with 172 performances and only two previews at the Alvin Theater, which is now the Neil Simon. So High Spirits, one of my favorite shows that we've covered, featured in episode five, premiered there as well. And if you remember, that's where we discovered that Alvin was a combination of two producers, Alex Ahrens and Vinton Friedley. Now, Jen and I have seen Big Fish at the now Neil Simon Theater, but Jen has also seen Hairspray there. I did, I did. Wildcat had its out-of-town tryouts in Philadelphia at the Erlanger Theater. Other shows playing at the time were Camelot, which opened less than two weeks prior. Bye Bye Birdie, which opened eight months prior. The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Fiorello. Do Re Mi. And The Music Man was in its third year. So unfortunately, Wildcat did not win any Tony Awards. Not a one. It wasn't even nominated. Nopey Dopey. Bye Bye Birdie and Irma La Deuce, which we will definitely cover later, were the musical frontrunners that year. The star of this show that we have to talk about before we get into the actual plot is none other than Lucille Desiree Ball. And for those of you who aren't sure, yes, that is Lucy from the famous show I Love Lucy. And if you don't know that show, well, we can't really help you. (laughs) Like, really, you should go check it out. It's a classic and I know people say, oh, it's a classic, but it literally is. <laughs> Truly. Like, it it probably doesn't play on Nick at Night now. I, I don't know what plays. I know Friends plays on Nick I at Night I bet it plays now. on, like, TV Land, Maybe, right? yeah, Do probably. they still do old shows? I have no idea. I, 
Now they're probably playing Friends. They're like, it's vintage. (laughs) She was born on August 6th, 1911. Her father worked as a lineman for Bell Telephone, and the family moved around quite a bit because of it. Lucy's mother was a homemaker. She only had one younger brother, Fred, because her father died at only 27 years old of typhoid fever when Lucy was just three. Her mother moved Lucy and Fred to Celeron, New York, where their maternal grandparents helped care for them. Her mother remarried when Lucy was seven, and the children moved in with their stepfather's parents for a time. They were puritanical Swedes who banned all mirrors in the house except for one. Weird. When Lucy was caught looking in it, she was punished for being vain. This affected Lucy for nearly eight years afterwards. I mean, it probably affected her for her whole life. Yeah, where'd they get eight years? After she eight said years, that. It was like, oh, I'm she good was now. like, it affected me for eight years. <laughs> it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I think it's still affecting you. Yeah. <laughs> when she was 12, she discovered her love for performing in the chorus line of her stepfather's Shriner organization. In 1926, when Lucy was 15, her family enrolled her in the John Murray Anderson School for Dramatic Arts in New York City alongside Betty Davis. Her teachers were less than encouraging and told her straight to her face that they thought she wouldn't be successful in the industry because she was, quote, shy, and she was sent home. Hmm, that sounds familiar. (laughs) Cough, cough, me. (laughs) She moved back to New York City to prove them wrong, became an in-house model for fashion entrepreneur Hattie Carnegie, as well as a Chesterfield cigarette girl, all while auditioning. Wow. Despite getting sick with rheumatic fever for two years, she came back to New York City to pursue her dream. So here is where it gets a little tricky and a biography would be helpful. We have one reserved at the library, but the librarians have not put it (laughs) outside yet for us to get because right now we're not allowed to go into the library. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the library. I'm annoyed at the process. Me too. I'm annoyed at the pandemic. It is widely stated that this show, Wildcat, was Lucille Ball's first and only credit on Broadway, but she auditioned, was cast in, and fired from various chorus roles in the 1930s, including Vanities and a Ziegfeld show, Rio Rita. I want to know why. <laughs> yeah, me too! <laughs> Desperately. She was, however, in a touring company of Dream Girl, not Dream Girls, not that one. <laughs> nope. Uh, In the late 40s. But before that, after not succeeding on Broadway, in the 1930s, she moved to Hollywood and appeared in several movies with stars including The Three Stooges, The Marx Brothers, and Fred and Ginger. Coincidentally, Ginger Rogers and Lucille Ball were distant cousins. Though we can't find a family tree at all, and it's really, really frustrating to me because I want to know. It's probably in that book. (laughs) (laughs) During this time, she auditioned for the role of Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. The role famously went to Vivian Lee and won her an Academy Award. I can't imagine how that would have been. No. <laughs> it would have been really strange. But as they say, when one door closes, another opens, and Lucy was cast a year later as the lead in the musical Too Many Girls, where she met Desi Arnaz, and history has never been the same. The two were married the same year they met, 
1940, but their marriage was never easy and Lucy filed for divorce just four years later. However, they reconciled before it became final. Lucy continued to do movies as well as radio work, and Desi appeared in several movies before receiving his draft notice. But he never served due to a knee injury and instead was assigned to the USO. He was discharged in 1945 and then became the band leader on Bob Hope's radio show. In 1948, Lucy was cast as a wacky wife in the radio comedy My Favorite Husband. The show was so successful that CBS wanted to turn it into a TV show, but Lucy would only do it if Desi was her husband. CBS didn't like this idea, so the couple created a vaudeville act along the same premise, and it was a hit. Because of the tour, CBS created I Love Lucy and put it into their lineup. Like a few others we've covered in previous episodes, <clears throat> Flahooly, Lucille Ball was also accused of being a communist, which was easy to do considering when she registered to vote in 1936, she listed her party affiliation as communist. <laughs> Genius idea, Lucy. Genius. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another individual even testified that she went to a communist party meeting at Ball's home. Despite this, Ball testified that she only registered to vote as a communist to please her socialist grandfather and denied having any communist party meetings. This saved her from being included on the blacklist. This whole thing is very suspicious. Yes. So many questions from this, but... It's okay, I'll leave it. It's probably in the autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) After the trial, during a warm-up session before a taping of I Love Lucy, Desi joked that the only thing read about Lucy is her hair, and even that is not legitimate. You're not going to try and do a Desi accent? Not at all! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. Lucy was the first woman to head a TV production company called Desilu Productions and became a pioneer for women in the TV industry. I Love Lucy the show originated the concept of filming before a live studio audience. The sitcom studio setup of fixed settings arranged next to each other and legend has it was one of the first to perfect the now standard three camera method of filming using 35 millimeter film. During the run of I Love Lucy, Ball gave birth to two children. Lucy Arnaz in 1951, who starred in one of my favorite musicals, They're Playing Our Song, which we are going to cover later because Mikey promised. But if you want to know more about it, head over to the Original Cast podcast where Jen has a conversation with Patrick Flynn about it. She also had a boy, Desi Arnaz Jr., in 1953, who was also an actor. Fun fact... Lucy was visibly pregnant with Desi Jr. during episodes of I Love Lucy, but it was a process to get there. They were told by CBS that a pregnant woman could not be shown on television. They had to gain approval from religious organizations before they came to a resolution, and even then could not use the word pregnant. They had to use the word expecting. Truly, what is the difference? In February 1960, she received not one, but two stars in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Does anyone else have two stars? I'm not sure. Because that seems excessive. One was for her contribution for motion pictures, and the other was for the arts and sciences of television. 
I Love Lucy was a massive hit, but behind the scenes, things were not so chipper. With their marriage in decline in May of 1960, Lucy and Desi divorced for real this time after 20 years of marriage. This was right before her one and only Broadway musical, which we are talking about today, (laughs) and we will get to Wildcat. It was during Wildcat that she met Paula Stewart, who introduced Lucy to her second husband, Gary Morton, a comic who was 13 years younger than she. Lucy bought out Desi's share of Desi Loop Productions, which continued to produce multiple TV shows, including The Untouchables, Star Trek, and Mission Impossible and even helped produce Wildcat on Broadway. In 1967, Desilu was purchased by Gulf and Western for $17 million, which is actually $130 million in today's money. I can't even imagine. And they rebranded Desilu as Paramount Pictures, which is so strange. That's pretty cool. After the divorce, Lucille continued acting in movies and TV shows. In three of her shows, she starred as different characters named Lucy. Including The Lucy Show. As Lucy Carmichael. From 1962 to 1968. And then Here's Lucy. Lucy Carter. From 1968 till 1974. Followed by Life with Lucy. As Lucy Barker. And this was only in 1986 because it was canceled after eight episodes and it was unfortunately her final TV appearance. We definitely cannot leave out the fact that she played Mame in the movie version of Mame in 1974. (laughs) In her life, she won numerous awards, way too many to name. But she was nominated for a Golden Globe six times and won once, and she was nominated for nine daytime Emmys and won five. That is insane (laughs) really in 1986 she was the well-deserved in my opinion recipient of the kennedy center honors desi was scheduled to introduce her as they remained friends after their divorce but he died just five days earlier instead her friend robert stack the unsolved mysteries guy (laughs) introduced her she died on april 26th 1989 Three months after her death, George H.W. Bush gave her a posthumous Presidential Medal of Freedom. So let's go on to the show. Overture! Overture! Woo!
Wow, so right off the bat, that overture was very fast, right in the beginning. If I was playing that, I mean, first of all, I can't play anything, so <laughs> it, it seems overwhelming in any capacity, but that would give me a heart attack. Yes, but at the same time, that's, I, I can't, you know, estimate time super well, but it seems like that was like five minutes. I could tell you. Okay. It was four minutes and 15 seconds. Okay. Is that the regular length? I don't even of know. Of an overture? Yeah. I don't know. Well, it felt kind of long to me. On a super positive, though, this wakes you up and gets you ready to see a show. Yeah. I mean, it has the classic brassy brass that I like to hear <laughs> in an overture. So let's get on with the show. Just a little note. We are reading directly off the back of the record. This one has a full summary. Hallelujah. I love it. <laughs> It's a pleasant morning in 1912 at Centavo City, a sunny town near the Mexican border, and the populace is wildly excited by the discovery of oil. Oh no, are we going to say wild a lot during this description? I think so. Oh, great. I think so. <laughs> Which immediately leads to the first song, Oil. Is there at least an exclamation point? Yes. Okay, good. Oil! Oil! Now by the crossroad and smack in the churchyard and back of the firehouse and right in my feet patch there's oil, 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 oil. I got ten acres. How much am I bid? It was very short. I actually liked it enough that I wanted to hear more of it, but it ended. <laughs> yeah. I feel like kind of Goldilocks now. Like, the first song was too long, and this one is too short. Maybe the next one, Papa Bear, will be just right. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the ensemble character voices in this. Yeah. I love hearing ensemble solo lines and, like, finding out about them as characters or even like as a whole character of the ensemble. I love that. I just like this one tenor who he has this crazy, I don't even know how to describe his voice. His voice is very pingy <laughs> and forward and cute. I I kind of see him as a cartoon, which is fun. I think the point. Yeah. I hope the point. Otherwise that man has a weird life. <laughs> well, I hope we hear him more. I hope so. I mean, I think with that kind of voice, you can't help but hear him. <laughs> I also wonder why this song was written in 3-4. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to think of why. And maybe it has to do with, like, wouldn't there be some sort of, like, chugging machine or something, like, sucking the oil out of the earth? Like, like, wouldn't... I don't know. I don't know anything about oil, but it feels mechanic to me. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen it in a movie. Did you watch There Will Be Blood? There seems to be some sort of oil thing. I'm Was not it a... in 3-4? <laughs> no. 
I also like that it's in 3-4 because it feels like it is literally propelling the excitement forward in For the sure. show. It's It feels like we're getting ready. We're all getting ready to do something big. It's definitely gotten me excited to hear the rest of the show. Let's go. Coming into town is Wildcat Jackson. Oh, jeez. A pretty, red-haired woman whose good looks are somehow enhanced by her casual shirt and dungarees. (laughs) I can't. They're like, she's wearing normal people clothes and she's still pretty? I don't understand. (laughs) I thought she should be wearing a skin-tight negligee. They're somehow enhanced. I don't get it. She's broke, but fired with imagination. How do you know that? I don't know. Her dungarees. <laughs> her lace-up boots. She's broke, but fired with imagination and a determination to strike oil. With not one nickel in her pockets, but a million in her noodle. <laughs> <laughs> no. And she can fast talk her way into or out of anything. She's also adept at hiding her femininity behind the mask of a clown. What the hell? (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) Let's see where this goes. Wildy teaches her lame younger sister. I'm guessing lame here means some sort of leg disability or injury. Right. Not like, she's so lame. Not the 90s version of lame. (laughs) Thank you for the clarity. Mm -hmm. Wildy teaches her lame younger sister, Janie, that a bold face to misfortune will always turn the trick. Don't don't say turn the trick to your little sister. (laughs) I don't think they meant that either. I know. (laughs) And this leads to another exclamation point song. Hey, look me over. Here it is. It'll be stuck in your head for days and you won't know any of the words. You gotta say, hey, look me over. Lend me an ear. Fresh out the clover. Porky's up to here. But don't pass the plate. Don't pass the cup. I figure whenever you're down and out, the only way is up and I'll be up. I like a rose, but I am the vine. Don't thumb your nose, but take a tip from a little bit short of the elbow room, but let me get me some. And look out, world, here I come. Come on, Jamie. Oh, why did them laugh at us? Not if we sing loud enough, come on. Follow along, she says, and paint them a rosy view. And tell them a story. Sing them a song, she says, and sing them a song we do. We're hitting the road. Loud as a chanticleer, and jittery as a head. The road to glory. Ready to whoops, my dear, but here we go again. Yeah! Hey, look. There it is. That song is, it's an earworm. Mm-hmm. It's still in my head, even though it has stopped. <laughs> I still don't know the lyrics. Nope. So I'm going to continue making them up in my head. That's fine. So that being said, if it's an earworm, does that automatically make it a good song? I don't know. I enjoy it. I don't think so. Okay. Sometimes I have really terrible songs stuck in my head. <laughs> it's true. And you're just like, get it out. Give me another song. Exactly. Now, this isn't one of them. No. I actually enjoyed this song. I'm sure we're going to hear this song again. Probably not in this show today, but. Oh, I bet you dimes to donuts we do hear it again. <laughs> you think so? At uh-huh. least the melody. Uh-huh. I actually have no clue. I bet the whole ensemble sings it at one point. <laughs> 
So maybe they're not going to let this, this song go. No. Are you kidding me? They put it in the overture for 15 minutes. They did. Okay, like a minute, but still. <laughs> they somehow fit 15 minutes of the song into a four-minute overture. Correct. Yes. All right, let's let's go. They got to town. Now what? All right. Wildcat and Janie arrive during the oil pandemonium and begin to exaggerate their circumstances, bragging that they own a number of oil leases and that their well will be brought in by the greatest drill team boss of them all, Joe Dynamite, whom they don't even know. What a great name. (laughs) Wildy and Joe meet accidentally and are immediately attracted to each other. Well, that's convenient considering (laughs) you already told everyone you know each other. Joe tells her that he'll be her foreman only if she can prove ownership of property and possession of a crew. Having neither, but filled with blind faith, she boasts that she's landed her foreman. And she sings the title song, Wildcat. I really don't understand anything about oil, (laughs) and I don't know what you said. (laughs) Don't. I think you have to read it again, but... No, please don't. (laughs) If you need to... Listener, you can rewind, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it will help. Let's listen to the song. Mm-hmm. What a foreman! He's the greatest. Hey, Santavo City, have you heard the latest? All you doubters, come on back. Come on back and meet the one and only Wildcat Jackson. Hey, that's Joe Dynamite's belt. Not that I am giving myself a boost. Now, how'd she get his belt? We just ain't been properly introduced. Is he working for you? Who's the greatest to get in her man? Wildcat. Wildcat. Who's the one there's no wilier than Wildcat? Wildcat. Well, that was disappointing. <laughs> I kind of liked it. I bet the choreography was great. Yeah, I I kind of like when it's just one female singing and then a ton of men around uh, her. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, just kidding. I don't because that means there's less roles for me. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> true. I don't like it when the lead lady is just singing, like, five notes and isn't really doing much. Yeah, but there's some funny lyrics. Oh, maybe. Does she sing You Bet Your Booties? No, I they think all they sing it. I, also, I, love it. I, I also like P-E-T-R Oleum. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I don't know. It was fun. That's all I can really think of saying about this. It's fun. It was fun. The tenors were nice. Yeah. The end. All right. So... Let's just continue then. Joe has brought his young Mexican sidekick, Hank, back to Centavo City, Hank's hometown. Is that in actual Mexico? It's near Mexico. So it's in the United States near Mexico. Yeah, near the Mexican border. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And while telling Hank of the virtues of coming home, Joe reveals his own longing for home and the girl waiting for him there. (gasps) And he sings the song, You've Come Home. A lot of home in one sentence. <laughs> Wait, so he doesn't like Lucille Ball? At least not yet. Oh no. For I see it in my dream. See her standing at the door. 
and I tell myself, Joe, just a few steps to go, and there's no need to wander anymore. You've come home, she will say. You've come home, though you've been far away. And you wait with your heart wildly beating while she just keeps repeating, you've come home, you've been long. So I really did like that song, but it ended like how long was it like a minute i have no idea but very short i i don't want to keep like talking about it was like verse how... refrain bridge refrain end <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i, I don't want to keep talking about how short things are but it's i can't it's really ignore it startling yeah and also that means that the song doesn't go very far emotionally yeah he's painting this whole picture about how he's going to come home to this woman she's going to be at the door and say you've come home and then he literally says, she'll repeat it over and over. And I'm like, oh, God, please don't repeat it over and over. Like, tell us something more. Which he does. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, I want song. It's just a, I mean, I guess longing is a form of want. Yeah. But it's a very passive form of want. Yeah. Despite its short length, though, and lack of lyrics. Depth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does paint a very nice picture with a small canvas. Yeah, and his voice is very pretty. Let's keep going? Uh-huh. All right. Wildcat and Janie board with Countess Emily O'Brien, a lady of frayed elegance. That's my style. <laughs> frayed <laughs> elegance. <laughs> a lady of frayed elegance who lives on wishes and dreams of past splendor. She urges Wildy to express aloud her dearest wish, and Wildy replies that it's for Janie. And she sings the song, That's What I Want for Janie. Oh, that's sweet. A feller with a pipe, a respectful type, seven feet tall and brainy. That's what I want for Janie. Lay off the other kind Though things have been tough And often enough She tells me that I'm all wet That's what I want That's what I want That's what I'm hoping to get well, it's a very obvious I want song. <laughs> yes, she it says is. I want about 7,000 times. <laughs> is this, would you consider this a ballad? Yeah. I mean, I don't consider it anything else. That's true. I like the sentiment of the song, mm-hmm. but I don't, number one, I don't fully buy it coming out of Lucy's mouth. <laughs> Second of all, the song musically doesn't build. Oh, yeah. I think because Lucy can't go anywhere. That's probably Ooh. true. I don't know. It's not my cup of tea. Yeah. It's it's a sweet little song, but it's unfortunately a little forgettable. It is, yeah. Wildcat learns of ten acres of land outside of town owned by Sookie. Sookie. A dirty, crusty, mischievous old hermit who refuses her any share in his property. Oh, it's a man. Yeah, a man named Sookie. Oh. <laughs> Because he believes a mere woman is incapable of handling 
a drilling crew. At this moment, a crew appears, searching for Joe Dynamite, and Wildcat provokes them into a free-for-all, just to prove to Sookie that she can handle men. Wait, <laughs> she makes them all fight with each other? I, what I, do you mean? Yeah, she... I think to she makes them all To prove that she fight. can handle them? I don't understand. <laughs> Hopefully the song clarifies it. Oh, jeez. And uh, yeah, she sings the song, What Takes My Fancy. Don't let this unravel your undies, but you might not make a bad groom. All cleaned up for company Sunday. Hold on, sis, you're stealing your doom. Here's a tip I'll give you, heartless ship I'll give you, but you ain't promoting me from my protective home. I likes to do what fades look fancy, what fades look fancy, I likes to do Okay, I have to say, this is my favorite song so far. I love this song. This is great. I love this guy. What a gem. Did you notice that they literally sing at the same octave the whole time? I mean, it's like the top of his, so he's like cracking, but it makes it funny. (laughs) Well, also when they do the, like, ah, they sing together. It's so obvious that they're like, Okay, you should do a character voice, <laughs> Mr. Man. And Lucy, just, you know, sing. <laughs> but they sound exactly the same. They do. They sound exactly the same. I I mean, I love it. But- because his character voice is so crazy and full of <laughs> cracks and crinkles and adorableness, it makes her sound good. Because mm-hmm. it makes her sound like she's also putting on something but mm-hmm. we all know she's not she kind of seems refined well she seems like she's making choices when in reality i think she's just <laughs> singing Ooh, nice trick there is one line that she says that i think is so funny what is it because we all know i get really really grumpy about these women that are little flighty ingenues that are like mm-hmm. I just I don't know I can't make up my mind and blah 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 well she says then what treats me girly has to find out early in my mama's litter I'm an independent critter oh nice I love that I love that too I actually didn't catch that when you first played it but I, I like it a lot I love it I do have to say that this so far has established her as a stronger woman character and she's not a young ingenue yeah it's refreshing mm-hmm. although it does kind of feel like a ripoff of annie oakley which was written like over 15 years earlier mm-hmm. but i'll take what i can get i guess but not all independent cool women have to be like country folk true <laughs> But this story is going in a slightly different direction. Is I think. it? Okay, let's we'll go. See. 
With the subdued crew in hand to work Sookie's property, Wildcat learns from Joe that he believes there is no oil under the property. I'm so confused. I thought that we had established... Oh, I guess there's no oil specifically under... Sookie's property. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys haven't watched True Blood, you're not going to understand why we're obsessed with saying it this way. But for those of you that understand... You're welcome slash I'm sorry. I'm sure there's plenty of Google clips. There might be even a clip of like him just saying Suki over and over again. Oh my gosh. He says it so much. So many times. Suki. Stop. And for good measure, Joe tells her that he'll not put up with any more of her wily tricks to get him to work for her. No, 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 no. (laughs) You can't say wily when you're talking to a person whose name is Wildcat. It's just too stupid. As a nickname. Wily, wildy. No, no. Well, he sings the song, You're a Liar. I admit that I'm hardly renowned. For the high type of people I know But I feel that a new hang around Is to reach a ridiculous low If you were a skunk, I wouldn't mind If you were a drunk, I wouldn't mind If you up and bit me like a bed bug in me bunk I wouldn't mind But you're a liar You're a liar And a liar so I'm stretching the truth. Does that make me a fake? And my dream a lot of trash? Just cause I never carry cash. That's a reason to avoid me like a rash. Though I'm stretching the truth, you reveal there's a heart of a heel underneath that hairy pelt. Why would you throw a girl a belt? Then behave as though she actually smelt. If you were a smelt, I wouldn't mind Giving you a belt, I wouldn't mind If I knew that you would learn a lesson from the wilt, I wouldn't mind But you're a liar, you're a liar And you'll be a liar till you die in day Well, this is like their less good version of Anything you can do, I can do One weird thing I found about this song, too, is that it's weirdly, like, chipper-sounding for such, like, a accusatory song. Well, I mean, they're trying to do the whole, I think you're dumb. No, I think you're dumb, but it's always, like, in flirty jest. Oh, it went over my head like a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like a woman. Ugh. I roll. <laughs> the end of this song ends with Lucy whining at the top of her lungs. In like signature I love Lucy, Lucy. But Ricky, why? Like not even a smidge of a different choice. No, like. not not at all. I mean, it's like when we saw Finding Neverland mm-hmm. and Kelsey Grammer had the line, "Do you say cheers here?" And everyone went crazy and started (laughs) giggling. Like, you want to hear your favorite person from your favorite show 
just give a little bit of a reference. Mm-hmm. And he gave that like Frasery like smile yeah. and looked out at the audience. That was amazing. It was cute because he was in a pub and blah, 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 blah. Okay. I forgive Lucy. Is this the end of act one? It is not. Oh. It feels like the end of Act 1. It does, but it's not. Because it feels like they would have left on the, Lucy's doing the Lucy thing. (laughs) I have to come back and see her do more Lucy things. Yeah, you're right. But, okay. Maybe the ending of Act 1, she will do another Lucyism. The last thing I have to say about this is, and this is just like a weird personal thing, he rolls his R's so much. At the beginning? Yeah. He sounds like he's German. Like <laughs> He's not. He's like, Voss is this... And you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, it I just wanted to know. funny. It. Maybe he has opera training and Perhaps. he can't uh, It took me a second it. to break that out. I'll, I will admit. Yeah. Meanwhile, a spark of romance flashes into being between <gasps> Hank- Oh, no, wait, wait. Oh, between Hank and Janie? Yeah. I was going to say between Sookie and Janie. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> um. <laughs> He's like, get over here, little girl. And she's like, what's going on? <laughs> okay, Hank and Janie. That's Hank and cute. Janie. And because Janie is lame and shy, Hank tries to encourage her by teaching her to dance. And they sing, One Day We Dance. One day we nice i don't have very many strong opinions about it that's because there weren't very many lyrics no (laughs) jeez really phoning it in there carolyn oh i'm sorry (laughs) i'm not i mean it's nice to hear another person's voice that isn't his voice is very nice yeah it is very and hers is as well i want it to be more because it sounds like so many other songs but it also doesn't stand out doesn't do anything they're not doing anything they're not saying anything they're just saying one day we dance and then he lists days like monday wednesday happy days like (laughs) and presumably they're dancing right now but maybe she physically can't dance and maybe he's saying one day we will gotcha maybe when maybe she needs like an operation or maybe she can't afford i don't know she shouldn't limit herself there are many ways to dance. Truth. That's what I have to say. Again, nice sentiment. Didn't really hit the landing. Nope. Well, let's continue. Mm-hmm. Still determined to hire Joe, Wildy tries a new tack. Why? And tells him she's decided to give up oil and be all woman. Mm. <laughs> I think you're going to be so mad at this line. This goes right into the next song. Give a little whistle. Just give a little whistle. Ring a little bell. Crook your little finger, honey. Give a little yell. I'll leap over fences. 
I'll even leave my senses and I'll take for your sake to the air. Just give a little whistle. Say you want me and I'll be there. I'll be there. Pardon me, it tickles me to death to hear you say you'll be a lady yet. Pardon me if I don't hold me breath. But on the day that you can play a shrinking violet, just give a little whistle. Brew a little tea. Send me out an invite, honey. This I gotta see. The day you're a woman, or even halfway human, though there may be some gray in your hair. Oh, no! Just give a little whistle. Notify me, and I'll be there. Is this the end of Act One? There's one more song. Seriously? Yeah, I know. It sounds like the end of an Act One. If you had to pee, you'd be really <laughs> pissed off. The ensemble of this show is super solid. Yeah. And I, I like this song, too. It's, it's fun. It goes on a bit. It does. And it really has one message. Give a little song. And I'll be there. I'll be that wrong song. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't what I thought, which Mm-mm. is good, I guess. But instead of being womanly, quote unquote, she's just leaving. I I really like, don't get it. I'm confused because I thought she was saying like, "I'm not leaving. I'm going to show you can be a a girl." And now she's like, and by doing that, I mean, sayonara. I don't really understand the logic. Me neither. But either way, the song. Made me smile as an out-of-context song. Maybe I'm desperate to hear musicals. <laughs> um. <laughs> this show is frustrating me. Not as much as Redhead, <laughs> but it's lacking in uh, plot. I gotcha, but there's still a decent amount of plot left. <sighs> okay, let's go. Joe continues to reject her. So, to spite him... Wildcat tells the sheriff that Joe is a fugitive from justice who allegedly killed a man in El Paso during a brawl. Whoa, whoa, (laughs) whoa. You can't go around doing that. So despite him, she accuses him of murder? This boy doesn't like me. He killed someone. What? Then he can die. Also, I thought you said you were leaving. Why do you care? I I thought you were gone. Okay. But later, she contrives to appear as his defender. What? Uh, well, uh, to be fair, isn't this what men do to women all the time? Oh. Like they put them in a jam, either consciously or unconsciously, and then they're like, don't worry, I'll rescue you. Yes. And then the girl's like, oh my goodness, my knight in shining armor, blah, 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 let's get married and have a billion babies. <laughs> True. But... She's, like, putting him in a position where he could be, like, executed. Right. Like, this is a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) But later, she contrives to appear as his defender and convinces the sheriff that Joe should be released in her custody as her employee. Is that how it works? (laughs) Yes. Don't worry. He works for me. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. Joe and his crew make camp at the drill site. The men talk of their dreams for the future and of their plans for the money they'll make if they strike oil. Which leads to the end of Act One song. Finally. Tall Hope. I got one. There's a stripper in a joint in New Orleans. 
just as faithful as a lady can be. Cause she told me she was spending her evenings getting supper ready for me. Enter only cool as a breeze, flinging diamonds at her dimply knees. I can see my baby peeling them peas right now. Right now, right now, come tell me tomorrow to settle for small. I'm riding the tall hole. Right now. Wah 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 wah. I'm gonna buy me a slide trombone. As much as I love a group of manly voices singing together, the song is really odd, especially for the end of Act One. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what's going to be happening when the curtain closes on that number. Ready? <laughs> okay. Herb! Herb! Herb, stop snoring, it's over! Oh, it's over? Can we go home now? No, we can't go home. There's another half. Get me a wine. I guarantee that it's happened hundreds of times. Oh my I thought gosh. you had to go to the bathroom four songs ago. And okay, were you listening to like the lyrics too? I honestly no. Okay, let me just say, one guy like sings a whole thing about wanting to marry a stripper. Oh yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, I did. I did. And how <laughs> she promised that he would, she would cook dinner for him. Yeah. Yeah. Odd. And the other weird thing was another guy was saying that if he strikes gold and gets rich, then he hopes that God will forgive him and let him go into heaven when he dies. I don't even know. <laughs> the song is super weird. It's so strange. I guess are we supposed to hate men? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't understand it's the working. POV. <laughs> well, that's the end of Act 1. Finally. Herb can go to the bathroom. Marsha can get her wine. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Now they're sitting back down. The lights dim. He has his raisinets. <laughs> <laughs> and we're ready to go. Joe has paid for a fiesta to be held for his pal Hank. That's a party in Spanish. <laughs> Lest you forget, we're on the border of Mexico. That's right, that's right. Wildcat is persuaded to attend by the Countess, who teaches her how to act like a lady at the affair. Good luck. And they sing the song, Tippy Tippy Toes. Oh, I thought it was going to be Tippy Tippy Tembo. No, <laughs> not that one. Do you think they're going to tap in this one? Ooh, I hope so. Le can Lucy tap? I don't know. We're about to find out. Mm -hmm. One, two, three, one, two, three, follow the beat. One, two, three, one, two, three, follow the beat. One, two, three, lift up those great big flat feet. One, two, three, lift up those... What do you mean, flat feet? I am dancing on my tippy, tippy toes. Powder on my nose, smelling like a rose. Get a load of me, I'm galloping around like a gazelle Dancing with a swell Showing him what class is When I take a turn around the hall 
was like a demented carousel version of the king and I. What the <laughs> heck was that? I feel like th there's so many other musicals too that are like, this is how we waltz. Are there? Because I can only think of the king and I. I can only think of the king and I as well. I know there's a lot oh, of musicals. Oh, no. No. Peter Pan, they do do. One, two, three, one, ah, two, three, yeah. one, two, three, one, two. Yeah. I like the the countess's voice. Yes. She's very sweet. Always nice to hear a new person's voice, especially if it's good. I want to say that I didn't hate this song. I just don't love it. Yeah. But it's cute. I guess it would be cuter if this song was a mom and a daughter. Like yeah. a little daughter. True. Because it's kind of weird for a grown woman, especially like... How old is she at this point? 49. Yeah. A 49-year-old woman to be like, I'm dancing on my tippy-tippy toes. It's a little bizarre. <laughs> but maybe if we were there, we'd see how funny she was. I guess. The fiesta begins with a pretense at hilarity because a paid celebration is really no fun. What? Because Joe paid for this fiesta. And that's not fun? I guess so. Isn't that like every wedding ever? <laughs> I don't understand. I, I don't understand what this is. Like, are the guests paid for too? <gasps> are they paid to be there? Oh, no. Awkward. Wildcat arrives wearing an outlandish gown. Oh, no. And Joe declares that she has made a fool of herself. Oh, good. At least that's happening. <laughs> she tries to join the festivities, but breaks down completely. However... A sympathetic Mexican intervenes. <laughs> it leads to the next song, El Sombrero. Oh no. I'm scared. Uh, me too. What in the world but a Mexican hat makes all the troubles disappear like that? A pot on the platter and a piece of string all put together. He's a wonderful thing, cause even if he's blue for a moment or two, when the weather is dark and gray, how in the world in a Mexican hat can a Mexican stay that way? We love you, love you, love you, El Sombrero. We sing you till the face is turning blue. Turning blue! Ayote, 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 quiero. Without you, El Sombrero. Whatever would we do? Firstly, I would like to say that this probably looked nice on stage. Mm -hmm. and it was probably a huge number, and I probably would have enjoyed myself in 1960 watching it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially because I'm pretty sure they plopped a giant sombrero on Lucy's head. Yes. Just like how they do in Mexican restaurants when it's your birthday. Yeah, Chevy's. <laughs> <laughs> now that that's out of the way. 2020 lens on 2021 i forgot the year already <laughs> you probably can't do this song anymore it's it's like slightly weird or... i don't know it, it's not for me to say yeah you're right it's not for me to say maybe if you cast a bunch of like latin x people to do this number it could be fine and they're doing authentic yes dance styles and not doing some weird flailing that some white guy choreographed yeah maybe it could be fine because they don't say anything horrible all they basically said was that sombreros make mexican people happy which they kind of make the world happy so That's i'm not true. mad about that you're slightly changing my mind on this but i'm a white person so i'd like to hear another opinion 
That's really what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I will note one thing. Uh-huh. There is a lyric. She says, we'll catch the Spanish flu and cry boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Firstly, this takes place in 1912. The Spanish flu didn't happen until 1918, which the only reason I know that is because they talk about it a lot because it was our last pandemic. Oh, true. Um, so this hasn't the Spanish flu hasn't happened yet. Secondly, she's a prophet. <laughs> they, for the Spanish flu, they blamed it on Spain, which is not Mexico. Mm-hmm. But it, it actually had nothing to do with Spain. But either way, it doesn't have anything to do with this song. Yeah. Okay. Well, if if you change that line, maybe there are other lines. Let us know mm-hmm. because I'm curious. For someone who has been poopy doopy about this entire show, I didn't hate this song, so I wonder if I should. <laughs> <laughs> it did kind of make me want to dance. Like yeah. the following day, the crew returns to the drill site and erects an oil derrick. The drilling begins. Yep, yeah, and they sing the song "Corduroy Road." Corduroy Road. <laughs> I was thinking Corduroy that too. Corduroy <laughs> Road. <laughs> I wonder what they're talking about, though. Yeah, who knows? Let's see. Spurning oil rigs are rising, make coal more to be crowned. Spurning oil rigs are rising, make coal. All right, you guys, unload that derrick frame. Bring them ropes and hammers and hurry it up. Pick up them hammers and lay down that planking. If you've a derrick, you wanna get growed. Here come the grease balls of banging and clanking. Here come your cousins up Corduroy Road. Okay, two things. Okay. Number one. I still don't know what corduroy road is. <laughs> I don't it's a road to hell. It's something. I don't know. Also, it might be because this show is just in my brain, but this song kind of sounds like Fluhuli, like the song Fluhuli. And we liked that. Yeah. And I like this. It's fine. Not hugely informative. No. <laughs> could happen at any moment of this show you know when they're building an oil derrick well that's only happening now okay. so <laughs> okay okay i see what you're saying <laughs> um <laughs> this could very much be a sentence or I, an instrumental if they're just building a thing i they're- mean i would even rather them go through and tell me what an oil derrick is <laughs> You know, like I would rather them, I mean, it would be kind of annoying, but at least it would be informative and I would learn something if they were like, this is the piston that puts on the thing and this is the whatever that brings the oil up and this has the oil and it falls down the tube and then it goes into the booty, like yeah, whatever. Yeah, kind of like uh, Henry Ford in Ragtime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, we just <laughs> talk about the corduroy road that doesn't exist. But they sound lovely. Mm-hmm. We're almost to the finish line. Dun, 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 dun. Joe inadvertently learns that the man he hit in El Paso. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just made up. Wait, I th- Well, no, he hit him. He didn't murder him. Yeah. But I didn't know that that was based off truth. Yeah, wait. I don't think we knew that. No. Good writing. Okay. 
Joe inadvertently learns that the man he hit in the El Paso brawl did not die, and he berates Wildcat for having lied to him again. Angrily, he tells the crew that he has lied to them and drilled a dry one. Disheartened, Joe and the crew leave. Wildcat is deserted. Later that night, Joe returns to the derrick to claim his belongings and his dynamite. Pause. Where is her sister? <laughs> I think she's just with Hank. They just left? Yeah. <laughs> okay. When he discovers that the explosives are missing, he turns to Wildcat, who informs him that in anguish and desperation, she threw the dynamite into the well hole to destroy it. Wow. <laughs> She's a little crazy. She is nuts. Desperate in his attempts to save her and remove her from the soon-to-explode Derek, Joe confesses that he loves Wildcat. Why? <laughs> I don't understand. At this moment, the dynamite explodes and, of course... They all fall down into the sinkhole. <laughs> no. Oh. At this moment, the dynamite explodes and, of course, blows in a gusher. Of course. So now it's like raining oil. Like the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, yeah. And I hate to inform you that this leads to the finale. I'm good with it. And I will say, it doesn't say, hey, look me over, reprise or anything. It just says finale, so I had no clue. I mean, I didn't either, but I had a sneaking <laughs> suspicion. And I, you know, I, I don't remember the old lyrics, and I don't remember these ones either. Nope. But they probably are the same. So since we've already talked about hey, look me over, well, let's just talk about it again. I still I like, like the it. ensemble singing it. <laughs> yes, I do. I do wish they had... Were there harmonies? I didn't hear any. I think this was all in unison. Why didn't we use the cool tenor? Also, can we just say, let's all bow our heads and mourn the loss of the tenor that we never heard from again. Right. What the hell? He was so good at the beginning, that ensemble tenor, and we never heard a I solo mean, line from him again. Maybe he was an act one finale, Tall Hope, and he just had a different voice. Um, but why would you not have the voice that you had before? It was so good. I don't know. And yeah, it doesn't say in here, so I can't tell you. Well, that was Wildcat. It was a wild ride. So wild. Wily, wily show. <laughs> Should we just go ahead right in? Let's go history? right in. All right. So the first person we're going to talk about is Cy Coleman, who wrote the music. He was born on June 14th, 1929 as Seymour Kaufman in the Bronx, two Russian immigrants. His father, Max, was a bricklayer, and his mother, Ida, was the landlady of the apartment building they owned. He took up piano at the age of four and took lessons with the building's milk ban. He was so good that he was considered a child prodigy and even made his Carnegie Hall debut at the age of seven. 
He went on to attend the High School of Music and Art and eventually the New York City College of Music. Like many other music writers, he earned money in the early 20s playing piano in clubs, performing in jazz ensembles, and symphony orchestras. In the early 1950s, he met lyricist Carolyn Lee at lunch at the legendary Brill Building, known for being the center of the music industry at the time. Later that afternoon, they wrote the song A Moment of Madness, which was to be sung by Sammy Davis Jr. They went on to write the popular songs Witchcraft and The Best Is Yet To Come while trying to write songs for Broadway. Wildcat was their first Broadway show together, but it was their second show, Little Me, where Coleman and Lee were nominated for Best Score. Despite their success, however, they constantly fought. Cy claimed that they argued about almost everything, including that Carolyn was jealous of what he did outside of writing songs, his social life. This led to their creative split. In 1964, Coleman met lyricist Dorothy Fields, featured on episode 6, Redhead, and asked if she would like to work with him. She reportedly replied, Thank God somebody asked. And they soon got to work on Sweet Charity, and then Seesaw, which got him another two Best Score nominations. It seemed like the beginning of a beautiful friendship, but the 25-year age difference led to the partnership ending when Dorothy Fields passed away at the age of 70 years old, just 10 years after their meeting. Cy Coleman trekked on, writing I Love My Wife in 1977 with Michael Stewart, which got him yet another Best Score nomination, and On the 20th Century with Betty Comden and Adolph Green in 1978, which he finally won a Tony for. They are featured on episode 10, Hallelujah Baby. Coleman paired with Stewart again when they wrote Barnum. Another Tony win came with City of Angels that he worked on with David Zippel, who wrote the lyrics to Disney's Hercules and the upcoming Andrew Lloyd Webber Cinderella. Coleman partnered again with Comden and Green with his final two Broadway musicals, Will Rogers' Follies, which won him his last Tony Award for Best Score, and The Life. He did write one more show called Like Jazz in 2004, but it never made it to Broadway. He died in 2004 at the age of 75. At the time of his death, he was working on four musicals. One about Napoleon, one on Grace Kelly, one on Elaine Kaufman, who owned Elaine's restaurant in Manhattan, and one based on Wendy Wasserstein's children's book, Pamela's First Musical. So as we mentioned, Carolyn Lee wrote the lyrics. She was born in the Bronx on April 21st, 1926, as Carolyn Rosenthal to a poor Jewish family. She went to Hunter College High School and attended Queens College and NYU, but never graduated. Despite this, she found work in secretarial jobs as a typist and eventually as a copywriter for radio stations and ad agencies. Meanwhile, she would write stories and poems on the side. One source said that one day she dialed the wrong number and had a conversation with a man on the other end who ended up signing her on a contract to write lyrics. Other sources say that she was urged to write songs with a music publisher. Either way, both paths led to her writing the songs I'm Waiting Just For You and eventually Young at Heart, which was made famous by Frank Sinatra. 
She wrote lyrics for her first Broadway show in 1954 as the third lyricist for Peter Pan, the other two being Comden and Green, writing lyrics to the songs that Moose Charlip wrote while Comden and Green wrote the lyrics to Julie Stein's songs. Her most popular song in the show was probably I Won't Grow Up. <laughs> it was around this time that she met Cy Coleman. After their partnership ended, she teamed up with Elmer Bernstein to write How Now Dow Jones, which got her her second Tony nomination after Little Me would sigh. From here, she would write lyrics for three unproduced musicals, a musical adaptation of The Great Gatsby, a musical about Caesar's third wife, Calpurnia, and a musical based on the Fellini movie, Juliet of the Spirits. The last musical she worked on was Smile with Marvin Hamlish, but unfortunately she died suddenly of a heart attack at only 57 on November 19, 1983. Howard Ashman, lyricist of Little Shop of Horrors, Little Mermaid, and Beauty and the Beast took over Smile after her death. The man who wrote this beautiful, beautiful book <laughs> is named N. Richard Nash. He was born on June 8, 1913, as Nathan Richard Nussbaum in Philadelphia to Father Sale, a bookbinder, and Jenny, who managed a grocery store. In his high school years, Nash made money as a boxer, making $10 a match, which is around $100 in 2021 money. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. He eventually went to UPenn to study English and philosophy. After graduating, he wrote two books on philosophy before writing his first play, Parting at Imsdorf, which won him the Maxwell Anderson Verse Drama Award and helped him get a job as a professor of drama at Bryn Mawr College. Which, if my very, very small amount of Welsh is correct, <laughs> means Big Hill. Oh, that's a fun name. It looks better in Welsh. It does. <laughs> His first Broadway play was The Second Best Bed, a comedy about Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway. Not that Anne Hathaway. Nope. In 1946. With his foot in the door, he wrote more plays for Broadway, including The Young and the Fair in 1948, See the Jaguar in 1952, and his most famous and biggest moneymaker, The Rainmaker in 1954 which has been translated in over 40 languages, revived multiple times, has been turned into a TV special and movie, and adapted into the musical 110 in the Shade. Well, that makes sense, considering at the end of that, doesn't it just rain? It does just rain. And at the end of this, they're like, and look, oil! <laughs> it's the same ending! Basically. They're together for some reason. Every producer's like, great, how are we going to do this? <laughs> Projections. <laughs> yeah, like they had that then. <laughs> glitter. Ooh, I wonder how they did the oil, though. <laughs> Black glitter? <laughs> Ew. I don't know. Nash did write the screenplays to many movies and TV shows, including the movie version of Porgy and Bess in 1959, and perhaps this gave him the musical bug, because Wildcat came out just one year later. He wrote the book to 110 in the Shade in 1963, but his other two musicals are definitely buried. Sarava, which he wrote the lyrics to as well, and the Candor and Ebb musical The Happy Time, which starred Robert Goulet. Robert Goulet, my god, Robert Goulet! <laughs> 
and will no doubt be covered in a future episode. Duh. In his later life, he transitioned to writing novels. One of his popular novels, Cry Macho, was in talks to be produced many times as early as the 1970s. One version was going to star Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2011. It finally got greenlit in 2020 and will be released sometime in 2021, being produced, directed, and starring Clint Eastwood, with a script by Nash. Unfortunately, Richard Nash won't be around to see it finally on the big screen, as he died in Manhattan on December 11th, 2000, at age 87. Now the question we've all been asking ourselves, <laughs> how and why and when did this get made? <laughs> so, <laughs> before Lucille Ball was involved, Nash initially wrote a draft with Wiley as a woman in her 20s, with himself and the director Michael Kidd set to be the producers. This was changed when the Desilu Production Company showed interest, as Lucy always wanted to do a Broadway show since she was young, and she thought that the career and location shift would be good for her since she had just filed for divorce from Desi a few months prior. Since Ball was in her late 40s, the show had to be completely rewritten as a woman who was on the run from her 50s. I don't understand how it had to be changed at all. I don't either. Maybe if we saw, like, the script script, there might be some, like, things every now and then, but it doesn't seem like it has to like, be a complete... Like, she's so old! <laughs> How is she not married? I don't see a complete rewrite at all. It seems like... Is there going to be some character... stupid line like, is that your daughter? No, it's my sister. She could be your daughter. <laughs> like... I don't know. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, I just, after reading the synopsis, I just don't buy this. Yeah. I mean, did they just mean... They have to make the other guy a bit older, too. Otherwise, it's weird. <laughs> I guess. Okay. I don't know. Nash is quoted as saying, The final product had nothing to do with my original intentions. It was all packaged and literally taken out of my hands. Well, that's depressing. Desilu's deal was good for the producers since Desilu invested $360,000 up front, which today would be $3.1 million. In exchange for 36% of net profits, the rights to the cast recording that you just heard, and a future TV special called Lucy Goes to Broadway, <laughs> which never happened. Also, they got permission for her to choose her leading man. She wanted Kurt Douglas. Duh. <laughs> but his salary was too high. I bet. Duh. So she eventually went with Keith Andis. There is no documentation as to how or why Cy Coleman and Carolyn Lee were brought on board, but we can assume it was because they were hitting the charts in mainstream pop music. Cy Coleman was intimidated by Lucille Ball, and at this point he had never written a full-scale Broadway musical. He spent five weeks trying to write a song for Ball. Lee gave him the advice of writing a song as if it weren't for such a big star, which prompted him to write, Hey, look me over! <laughs> the most well-known song of the show. Duh. It will never get out of my head. Never. Mm -mm. He's also quoted as saying, quote, How to write for a woman who had five good notes. And not just any woman, but the biggest star in the world at the time. What is she going to sing when she steps out on stage for the first time? 
She had to land big or else we were all dead. I mean, that is a lot of pressure and everything he said is totally true. (laughs) (laughs) No. But, you know, that first song, Hey, Look Me Over. It's good. In the same interview with the New York Times, Coleman said that at the first rehearsal, Lucy seemed to be more scared than Lee or himself. Quote, she was petrified to sing. I was petrified she wouldn't like what we'd done. But then she heard Hey Look Me Over and said, I can do that. Starting early in the rehearsal process, Ball suffered from exhaustion. Her doctor told her to maybe try to sing one note while the orchestra played the melody. What does that even mean? (laughs) What kind of advice is this? It sounds like a doctor who's never seen a musical. I don't even know. During the out-of-town tryouts in Philadelphia, Lucille Ball's character melded more and more with her TV persona to cater to audience expectations. Hence the end of that one song. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she would even break character for improvised asides. Reviews out of town were mostly positive, especially for Ball and the Music. The book of the show was obviously weak, but the production team had faith that Ball's star appeal would blind audiences into forgetting any flaws of the show. Maybe it did in person, but not... No. (laughs) The Broadway opening was postponed when the trucks hauling the sets and costumes from Philadelphia to New York were stranded on the Jersey Turnpike for several days due to a blizzard. So I've recently just finished reading Dick Van Dyke's autobiography, Actually, I didn't read it. I listened to it on Audible. <laughs> Full disclosure, because he reads it, and it's so cute, and he's so cute, and I love him. That's always the best when the author reads their work. Exactly. And when it's actually about them. Mm-hmm. Hello. So, I think he's actually talking about this same blizzard when he says that he was driving to Bye Bye Birdie one night, and he had to abandon his car on the highway because the blizzard was so bad, and he and a few other people trekked to like a nearby bar that was on like an exit and spent the night in the bar and then he finally got to go home the next day and they were snowed in for several days and the shows of bye bye birdie were canceled and when he went back to get his car it had been cut in half by a snowplow (laughs) (laughs) so it was a pretty bad snowstorm i love that story i hate that his car was cut in half but i love that story yeah it was like a nice car too i forget what kind it was but he really liked it (laughs) Ticket sales were strong in the beginning, despite subpar reviews. The New York Times reviews started with the zinger, Everybody wanted to love Lucy, but her show didn't make it easy. That's so rude, <laughs> but so true. love that. Oh, I could imagine writing that and just being like, yes, I'm great. Probably because of these horrible reviews. Actually, I don't know why, but doing shows is hard. Throughout the run, Ball would fall ill, sometimes catching colds or having breakdowns, pulling a tendon. One time, she even fainted during the song Tippy Tippy Toes, and the castmate that tried to catch her broke their wrist. Well, I'm guessing that the only castmate that's on stage is the old countess. She fell on the old lady? That's terrible. It became clear that Wildcat was a commercial hit solely because people wanted to see Lucy on Broadway. When Ball needed a break and they decided to put her understudy, Betty Jane Watson, on for a week, the demand for refunds was so great that producers decided to close the show entirely for two weeks, which caused a financial hit. 
So, fun fact, Betty Jane was the original West End Lori in Oklahoma, so she was probably really good. Yeah, it would have been a unique experience to see her in this role. For sure. And I'm sure she would want to do a really good job, just like every understudy and standby wants to do a really good job. And depending on the show, I love seeing understudies. I do too. We saw understudy Palooza at Finding Neverland mm-hmm. when we saw it. That was the most understudies I think I've ever seen. Yeah. How was many was so it? was like many. seven or eight. It, it was, was insane. Both lead man and lead um, woman. woman and like all the children and then like random characters. However, if Kelsey Grammer wasn't there, we would have kind of asked for a refund. We definitely would have. So... I don't know. I don't know if we would have, though. I think we would have just been upset. I don't think we would have asked for a refund. We also saw Sandy Duncan. Oh, we did see Sandy Duncan. Which was like a miracle. And we didn't fully realize how much of a miracle it was. I mean, she was only on for a week. Right. But she wasn't planning on being there for only a week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's like a ton of other shows that we've seen understudies that have been awesome. Like when we went to see Six in London. It was understudy Palooza that day, too. It was. There were like two... Uh, two of the six. Was it two or three? I don't know. But the girl who played Anne Boleyn when we saw six, I don't know if there's literally anyone who could do a better job. I don't know why she doesn't have that role. She was so freaking good. It was amazing. And I unfortunately don't remember her name. And my programs are packed in the storage unit. <laughs> so my take home message really from this aside is that if you see the understudy slip in... It's going to be an exciting show. Yeah, and don't just automatically poo-poo on their parade. So, anyway, a few weeks after returning to Wildcat, Lucy collapsed yet again, and a nine-week closure was planned starting May 1961. Now, if you remember, this also happened to Ray Bolger. They, at that time, if the star was the star, they didn't care about closing a show and then reopening it. I think Ray Bolger, they reopened Where's Charlie like six months later. Yeah, in a different theater. In a different theater, different everything, but he needed a break. The Musicians Union demanded, rightfully so, to be paid during the nine-week period, which made the show impossible to continue financially. It ended up closing for good on June 3rd, 1961. So now we get to talk about the other people in the cast that are not Lucille Ball. We're going to start with Keith Andis, who played Joe Dynamite. He was born on July 12th, 1920 in Ocean City, New Jersey. He started acting on the radio at age 12 and found work through high school, singing and acting on the radio in various shows. He attended Temple University to study education, but went to the Philadelphia Conservatory of Music afterwards to study singing, before joining the Air Force. There, like so many people we've covered now, he started acting and singing in USO shows. After the military in 1944, he did the film Winged Victory before making his Broadway debut in the operetta The Chocolate Soldier in 1947. In 1950, he took over the lead role of Fred in Kiss Me Kate on Broadway. Wildcat was his last Broadway show. From there, he starred in various movies and TV shows before retiring from acting in 1980. He died on November 11, 2005, at the age of 85. Other than Lucy, probably the most famous person in this show is in the chorus, and it was Valerie Harper. 
Valerie Harper was born on August 22, 1939, in Suffern, New York, to a lighting salesman and school teacher who later became a nurse. She started as mostly a dancer and chorus performer on Broadway, performing in Take Me Along, Subways Are for Sleeping, and Destry Rides Again. However, her best-known role is on TV. She played Rhoda Morgenstern on The Mary Tyler Moore Show and the spin-off series Rhoda. In 2008, she was nominated for Best Actress in a Play for Looped. She was initially in Nice Work If You Can Get It in 2015, but she collapsed backstage, was hospitalized, and withdrew from the show during out-of-town tryouts. She died on August 30th, 2019, in Los Angeles at the age of 80. So it's time for... I should write a jingle for Audition Cuts. Yeah, you should. Maybe later. But it's time for the Audition Cuts, which are kind of hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Because number one, as we all know, we were not thrilled. No. With this show. Number two, the songs that are there that we enjoy are quite short. Mm-hmm. So, it made it difficult. But, we do have some. So, I'll go first. Mine is What Takes My Fancy. So, here you go. Hold on, Grandpa, not on your life. Them what treats me girly has to find out early. In my mama's litter, I'm the independent critter. I like to do what takes my fancy. What takes my fancy, I like to do. And when it comes to things romancy, what takes my fancy ain't the like of you. Boom. I still love that song. I like that song a lot, too. It's maybe my favorite in the show. Can't I think tell. it is my favorite. <laughs> I think it really is. It's so cute and funny, mm-hmm. and I really like the guy in it. Although, when you're singing this for an audition, you will not have that man next no. to you. So you have to be funny all on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, a little obvious, this song could be used for Annie Oakley. It also could be used if you're just auditioning for your good man, Charlie Brown, I think. Because I think it could be used for Lucy Van Pelt and for Sally Brown. Mm. Just that little kid sassiness. There is this childlike fun in the song. I mean, I think this would just be good for auditioning for children's theater in general. Because children's theater, you don't necessarily need a huge range. You don't need to show off your belt. You need to show off that you can be funny over the top and fun. And mm. I think that's what this song is. I love it. Good choice, Jen. Thank you. Well, I chose a song. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> the song I chose is One Day We Dance. Now, I want to say firstly, if you sing this, don't put on any accent. You can sing this with no accent. It's very possible. This guy barely has one. Yes. <laughs> But he does have a slight one. Uh, anyway, here's my cut. One day we stand stiffly apart, empty of hand, heavy apart. There's not a chance. Then there's the music, and suddenly sent flying we too, as we. 
it's a fun song for the classic baritone. I was brainstorming different roles you could use this song to audition for, and the first one that comes to mind is actually the King of Siam and the King and I. Of course, you have to be appropriate for the role. Same with any song. But I think this would actually work really well. Yeah. It is about dancing, after all. It is. It's like, you oh, You can, like, subliminally tell them what role you want. <laughs> Other role I was thinking was actually Starbuck in 110 in the Shade. How appropriate. Mm-hmm. And other than that, really any other baritone song. You could just have this in your back pocket. So now, we've kind of alluded to this, but I'm still actually not sure. Let's ask the question, should this musical still be produced? One, two, three. I don't know. Oh, Mikey, your first no, your first no, your first no. Okay, maybe it's just that I don't think it should be. I'm open to someone changing my mind. I would like someone to show me that this can be done without Lucille Ball, and maybe it's a completely different show, and maybe it's good. I don't know if this is good. I don't, and I don't, we don't know what the dialogue sounds like. We don't. If it's really stilted, then I'm going to go with no. I think that it could be fun if you camp it up a lot. Mm -hmm. If this show was done with a Lucille Ball drag queen, (laughs) I would be there in five minutes. You're already convincing me that this show needs to be produced. Okay, I'm not sure about that. I'm actually (laughs) unconvincing myself. But I would see it if someone was in drag. Yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm, I'm willing to see anything if a, a very strong angle is given to it. <gasps> what if Lucy is in, or sorry, Wildcat. I hate that that's her name. <laughs> what if she's in drag and all the, I mean, this is not a new concept, <laughs> but all of the women are drag queens and <gasps> all of the men are women. Like, actually women. <laughs> because there are so many men in the show. Are so, so many. many. That's another-ish. And then, Sookie could be, like, a hilarious drag king. <laughs> I can envision it now. You are completely changing my mind. I don't know if I am. <laughs> <laughs> also, this might change your mind or change my mind rather the rights for this show again we use our typical statistics 100 seat house tickets between 25 and 50 dollars 16 performances the rights are going to cost you seven thousand eight hundred dollars wow and you get them from concord theatricals i'm not sure if this show is worth seven thousand eight hundred dollars because so many shows seem to be in that range so many shows that are better than this are in the same price range i hate saying though like don't do this right that's what i'm trying to i'm trying to make a spin on it so it can work Mm, i see but there might be some complicated racially insensitive dialogue that we don't know about and if there is then in that case just chuck it in the bin i i I don't know if it's worth trying to work around that. Yeah, I I have no idea if there's been any slight rewrites since then to address that. If there have, 
Maybe. Maybe. Someone, if you've seen this show, let us know. If you want to produce it and invite us, let us know. I mean, it would be on the internet, so we would be available. (laughs) But for right now, I'm going to say meh. So it seems like it's not our cup of tea, but maybe it's yours. It's not not my cup of tea. It just needs some sugar. Yeah. I like that. In the form of drag queens. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so, so much for listening. Yes. Thank you so much. And if you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening right now. But only if it's nice. If you want to email us any suggestions, you can do that at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Buried Broadway. If you want to support the podcast and get some bonus content, become a patron for as low as $1 a month at patreon.com slash buriedbroadway. We really appreciate all of the support so far, not just from our patrons, but also from you guys, our listeners. Please keep spreading the word and telling your friends. It really means a lot to us. What will we dig up next? Bye. Toodles. I know we just played you some songs from the show. But that doesn't mean we have the rights, you know. We're educating you and ourselves, you see. With musicals lost in history. So please don't call your lawyers. That would kill the vibe. We just want to make podcasts. And keep buried Broadway alive. Here's what we're through. But why? You lied!